Well, good morning again. Welcome to Bentonville Community Church on this Memorial Day weekend. It is so good to see all of you that are gathered here, to those of you that are worshiping online. This has been a good day in God's house, and I sure appreciate Leanne helping her mom in worship. Would you let Leanne know how much we appreciate her? Wow. That was, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. The Talbert girls do a really good job leading worship, and I appreciate them. Um, and welcome to our kids who are here. And, uh, and so you're used to seeing Leanne lead worship in kids' church, and you get to see Leanne lead worship in uh, uh, adult church, too. So um, glad that you're here with us. Hey, I want to say if you're a guest with us, if, if, um, if this is maybe your first time with us, there is a Connect card somewhere in the, the, the section of pews or section of seats that you're in. Uh, please fill that out. Drop it in the offering baskets in the back. We would love to be in contact with you. And speaking of the offering baskets, thanks, thank you, thank you for your tithes, for your offerings. God takes your offerings, he takes your obedience, and he uses it to accomplish his mission through this local church. Our mission is to transform all people into passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And so when you make a gift to the local church, that is what you are investing in. So thank you, you can, you can give online or you can use the baskets uh, in the back and give a physical gift. You know, um, today is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I was driving home from Nashville on Friday and uh, past the cemetery, and there in the cemetery um, were lots of American flags uh, commemorating what this weekend is, is all about. And uh, a friend of mine reminded me of this passage in John, John chapter 15. Uh, it says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And our national calendar has us thinking about those that have laid down their life for a cause greater than themselves. And that same idea is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, to be so filled with the love of God that we would lay down our lives for a cause, the cause of Christ uh, that is greater than ourselves. And so I, uh, I, I just want us to be thinking about that, and I want us to be thankful and um, the men and women that have laid down their lives for our country enables me to make this next announcement to you. Um, there is a peace walk that is happening today, and I was a little late in getting the information, but it came to me this week, and I wanted to get the information to you because I think it's a tremendous event. Uh, on the Bentonville Square, the Bentonville Interfaith Alliance is, is sponsoring a peace walk. It's happening today. It starts at 2 o'clock. We're going to walk from the Bentonville Square to the community center uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the trails on I Street will be the main route. Uh, that's about a 3.9-mile walk, so that's, that might, might be a little long for some of you. Uh, but I wanted you to know there's a group of Christians, Muslims, Hindus, and maybe a few other things mixed in there that are gathering to walk and to think about peace. And there are few countries in the world where that group of people can come together freely, and, uh, and, and have the freedom of, of religion and, and to be able to do that. And, uh, and so I'm, as we think about the men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice, that's the vision they were sacrificing for, that, that an event like that could happen and those groups could come together. And, and I'm excited to participate because I see war and I see conflict in the world and I think, wow, if, if, if only those groups and, and other groups like it could just come together and focus on peace, um, I think it's a good way to start a conversation that needs to be had in our world. 
So that's today. It's the Interfaith Peace Walk. It starts uh, at the Bentonville Square, ends at the Community Center. And I appreciate my friends at Bentonville Christian Church that are, um, that are sponsoring it. And, and so just wanted you to know about that um, and pray for that event. And uh, that's a good segue into um, this sermon series that we've been in. It is uh, looking specifically at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is present that is active, that has been poured out upon the world, that is in all places, at all times, and at work in all people. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we are celebrating. And because of this gift that God has given to us, we are never alone. We are always in close proximity to God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Take a deep breath. Let let that fill your lungs. Exhale that. As close as the air that we breathe is our proximity to God through the Holy Spirit. You can't be any closer than that. It is as if God's Spirit has been poured out upon the world and we are completely submerged in the Holy Spirit of God. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we began this a few weeks ago. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. We celebrated the giving of the Holy Spirit. And I want to stay in the book of John. I want to take you to the first time in the Gospel of John in which we're introduced to the Holy Spirit because I think John has a perspective on the Spirit um, that, that is more nuanced or that is nuanced in ways the, the Gospels, the other Gospels are not. And so we're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, Amy read it for us in worship and we'll visit that text uh, in just a moment. How many of you know what it's like to be picked last? You know what it's like to be picked last? You know, I, I do. Maybe you know what it's like to be picked over. Maybe you know what it's like to be picked apart. Uh, it's interesting that the word pick and the word chosen are synonymous, but one sounds better than the other, doesn't it? Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're the last one to be picked, well, you're going to be picked last, but if you're the first one selected, you feel more chosen, don't you? It's funny, how, um, it's funny how that works. I have the feeling of being picked last more than I have the feeling of being chosen. And it's funny how those memories linger. I can close my eyes. I'm a fifth grader. We're playing kickball. We're choosing up teams. And I get picked last. Some of you are thinking, wow, cry me a river, Pastor. Don't bring me your, your sad sob story about being picked last in kickball. But it's funny how that memory lingers. And suddenly that memory comes back when you're passed over for a promotion, when you're not picked for the job, when you are not chosen for the thing that you think you deserve. When a family member doesn't prioritize you on their calendar the way that you think they should, those memories can come back and you can feel as if you're picked last, as if you're picked over, and maybe sometimes picked apart. It all comes rushing back again. And the Holy Spirit, His presence in our life is good news to those who have ever felt this way. Holy Spirit is good news for us who have ever felt this way. In the book of John, as we're first introduced to the Holy Spirit, it's through the ministry of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, 
he comes on the scene early in John's gospel, and he is preaching a baptism of repentance. And one of the things that he was called to do, one of the, the, mission, the primary mission that John the Baptist has in, in the gospel story is to point people to Jesus. I was, I was in, in the Louvre a few years ago, and there were just a few paintings that I, that, I was, that I wanted to see. Of course, the Mona Lisa, you have to wait in line, and you want to see that one. But I wanted to see Leonardo da Vinci's picture of John the Baptist because it, 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 it's the quintessential picture of, of who he is uh, in, in the world. And I, and I was able to see it, but, but if you look at paintings of John the Baptist, He's always ha- he always has his finger out, and he's always pointing. He's always pointing to something or someone. And even if Jesus isn't in the painting, he just has his finger out. And sure enough, there's, Leo, there's Da Vinci's John the Baptist, and he's got this skinny little finger out, and he's just pointing. And that was the ministry of John the Baptist, to point to Jesus, to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness, and he's causing quite a stir. In fact, the gospel tells us that the religious establishment comes out, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're going out to the wilderness to see what this was all about. It was common in Judaism for people who converted to Judaism to undergo a ceremonial cleansing. That's essentially what John was doing. But what he was doing the act of baptizing But he wasn't baptizing Gentiles who were coming to Judaism. He was baptizing Jews who wanted a renewal of their faith. In fact, what he was doing symbolically there in the wilderness was he was taking these Jews and he was was preparing them. He was saying something is about to happen. God is about to break upon the scene. There is going to be a new way of understanding God that we have never had before. The Messiah, the chosen one, is coming, and you need to prepare for it. So even though you're a Jew by birth, or even though you have converted to Judaism, what I'm telling you is something new is happening. And so people were going out because they were hungry for something new. So they're going out to John the Baptist. They're undergoing this ceremonial cleansing. And people begin to think, wow, Maybe, maybe, maybe John is this chosen one. He's got quite a following, and he's really popular, and people are drawn to his message. Could John be the chosen one? And look at verse 26. He says, no, 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 no. I baptize you with water, John replied. But one among you stands, one you do not know. He is the one who will come after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. There's an interesting dilemma happening here. I want you to think about the position that John is in. John certainly knew what it was like to be picked last. John certainly knew what it was like to be picked over. John certainly knew what it was like to be picked apart. He lived on the margins of society. And here he is preparing the way for Jesus. And how easy would it have been for him to say, wow, I've got quite a following here. Man, we're we're gaining some momentum. Something pretty special is happening here. How easy would it have been for John to say, well, you know, maybe this can be about me, at least just a, a little bit. 
But he doesn't do that. He continues to stay on mission. He continues to point to one who is coming. In fact, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal, the straps of his sandal. I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off. I'm not even worthy to do that, which was quite a statement because that was an act that was reserved for slaves. This is what servants would do when the master would come in the house. They would be the one to take off the master's shoes and to wash his feet. And John's saying, it's not about me. I'm not even worthy to do that because this one coming after me, he's the one. He's what this is all about. And that's an important move for us, friends, especially when we feel picked over, especially when we've been picked last. Because something happens when you get picked last. You begin to develop a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You begin to say to yourself, you know what, I, I'm going to show them. I'm going to prove something to them. I'm going I'm to make my way in the world, and, and, and I'm going I'm to say to them one day, in the words of Toby Keith, how do you like me now? I'm singing on your radio. How do you like me now? I'm gonna, I, you get a little chip on your shoulder, you get a little chip on your shoulder and you think, hey, I'm going to show them. I, I, I'm going I'm to make something of myself. That's a common narrative in our, in our society, especially in our country. It's a version of the American dream. The person who was picked last, the person who was down on his luck, they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They stepped over who they needed to step over and they made something of themselves. They, they, they controlled their own destiny. And for every story we tell like that, there's probably 10 stories of that didn't go that way. There's probably 10 stories of, uh, of, of people who tried their hardest to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and, and just walked around with this chip on their shoulder and, they, and things didn't work out the way they wanted it to. <laughs> so I play on a little softball team. And uh, I feel blessed to be able to still be playing softball. And uh, at, at, gosh, am I going to say that at my age? That just sent, like, it even hurts to even say that, you know. But I play on this little softball team, and uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's a buddy of mine, and, and his work has a softball team, and, and, and they needed some people to play with them. And <laughs> um, everyone else turned him down. And so... Um, eventually he worked his way down to, 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 to me, and, and I took him up on it. And so we play softball Monday nights, and, and I know my time is limited. And I, I, I know, my, I know my, my days of doing this are, are numbered, and I, I, I also I play on the infield, and I know my time on the infield is, is numbered as well. At some point, I'm going to be out in the outfield somewhere, and... <laughs> At some point, they'll probably throw me a catcher. So, um, and, and then at some point, they'll say, they'll, they'll just stop calling. Um, but I, 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 I just know my days are numbered, and I want to do my best, and I got something to prove out there. And so I was playing third base, and I, they just, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're snake bit out there. You know, you boot a ball, you give up a run, then, then the ball just finds you. The ball just continues to find you. You 
you boot another one. I think I had three errors in the field. Who knows how many runs were let in because of my poor play at third base. Man, and I had something to prove. I, 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 I knew I was leading off the next inning, and, and so I ran into the dugout. I got my batting gloves on. I got my bat. I, I needed to make up for all those runs that I let in, as if I'm going to lead off the inning and hit like a six-run homer, right? But I, I, was, I, was one, I ran in, and I dug in, and I was ready to, to, to atone for my sin, because I had a little chip on my shoulder. First pitch comes in. I take it. It's a ball. And then the person on the scoreboard says, they, 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 say, they get the umpire's attention, and they say, hey, He's batting out of order. It's like, what? Yeah, he's, he's the sixth. He's, he's not leading off. He's the third batter in the inning. You know what happens when you bat out of order? Out. Yeah. And you know the worst thing about batting out of order is you're not the one out. It's the, per, the, the person that you, you took their place in the batting order. They're out. And so my friend Larry... Didn't get an at-bat because I stepped in and I took a pitch. So I took an at-bat away from Larry. And then, guess what? I was, I was the batter, two, uh, two batters later. And so then I really had something to prove. And, of course, I grounded out weekly to the shortstop. And, uh, but, man, ugh. Now you know why I was picked last, right? Yeah, you deserve to be picked last. But, friends, I, I feel like so often when, when we say, man, I got something to prove. I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to go out. I'm going I'm I'm to make something of this. When we do it by our own strength, when we do it by our own strength, so often, and we don't involve God in the process, so often it ends up disastrous. We end up not doing what we set out to do and, and, and I, I want us to think about what John is saying to us. John is saying that there's one coming there's one coming who's going to atone for our sin. There's one coming who, who is God's plan. It's, he's going to enact God's purpose for our life. And we have to put our hope and our trust in the one who is coming. And we have to depend and trust upon him. And I know it feels bad to be picked last. And I know you want to make something of yourself. And I know you want to show the world that you're significant and that you can do this. But you can't go out on your own strength. You have to depend upon the one who is coming. And so John resists that temptation. John continues to stay on message. He continues to point to Jesus. And then let's revisit what Amy read for us. This is what happened next. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Here's the moment where Jesus comes on the scene. 
Everything that John has been talking about is culminating right here with Jesus coming on the scene. And John is able to say to the crowd, this is the one. This is the Lamb of God. What do you think the people thought about when John said Lamb of God? They're, they're God-fearing Jews. They understand the sacrificial system and they understand what the, what the Lamb represents. And I want us to think about that, that history and that, that process, that religious system. There was a day of atonement, and that was the day in which the lambs would be sacrificed. And this sacrifice of the lamb was symbolic of the, the, it, it, was, it was the process through which atonement for sins was acquired. And so you would present the lamb at the temple, and the lamb would be sacrificed, and the blood would flow, and it would represent uh, the way that atonement for sin was made. And what John is saying is that all of this, this entire sacrificial system, is consummated in this person. Look, y'all, look, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. Here we are trying to do things on our own strength. Here we are thinking we can atone for our errors on our own by what we do, by our human effort, and what John is saying, here's the lamb. Here's the one who takes away your sin. Here's the one who makes up for your mistakes. Here's the one who can hit a six-run homer. He can do things you cannot do. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we, we see this. We see... John saying, I see the Spirit. The Spirit comes down as a dove. The Spirit descends upon the Lamb of God. It is God's seal of validation. It is God saying, I have, I have chosen this one. This is the anointed one. This is the one who is going to enact my plan and my purpose for redemption. And it takes us to what Isaiah said. This is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 42.1 says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. That was pointing to Jesus. I will put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice. He will take all the things that are wrong, and he'll make them right. Man, I was trying to make a lot of things right on the softball field, and I didn't do very well. But Jesus is the one validated by the Holy Spirit here in this moment, who's going to come into the world and everything that's wrong with the world, he's going to make right. And friends, just as Jesus was chosen, just as Jesus was affirmed by God through the Holy Spirit, what Paul's going to go on to say is that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee of what is to come. And because of this deposit that's been put into our lives, we can call God our Father. As the daughters and as the sons of God, we can rest in our identity as the daughters and sons of God. As We can know that God is our Father. That's only through the affirming presence of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that comes down, that descends upon Jesus, that sets him apart as the chosen one of God, chooses us. 
We are chosen. We are loved. We're affirmed by God. You may not be familiar with this, but there's a process for becoming a, a minister in the, in the Church of the Nazarene. It's called ordination, and it's a multi-year process. And, um, you know, my dad was a pastor, and I was, graduating, I was graduating college, and I had an opportunity to go to South Carolina, where, where I'm from. And I had an opportunity to be a pastor on that district. And I also had an opportunity to go to Alabama. And I remember the choice before me. And I remember there was something inside me that said, you know, if I go to South Carolina, I'm always going to be Dana's son. And I'm always going to be, and, and folks in the district, they were familiar with my mom and some leadership that she had given in, in some mission organizations. And I'm always going to be Dana and Roxy's son. There's just something in me that I got something to prove. And I need to go out, and I need to kind of do this on my own. I need to kind of a fresh start. And so I chose this position in Alabama. And I think the Lord was leading me there, and I, and I believe that to this day. But I was excited to be an associate pastor at this church just north of Birmingham. And uh, I began this process of ordination. And, and part of the process is you meet with a board. And it's the board of ministry, and it's made up of pastors on the district. And they, they, they examine you every year, and they ask you questions, and they um, help you with your development, and they assign you a, minute, a mentor. And, and I remember there, um, the first time I met with this board, I didn't know any of the pastors in the room. I, I, they, and I, I didn't think that they knew me. And I studied up, and I had answers. to. Uh, I think I, I thought I had answers to all their questions. I reviewed what I learned in college, and I was ready to, to go and, and tell them how much I knew. And I walk into uh, this boardroom, and uh, it, it's kind of ominous. There's this panel of pastors, and then there's like a seat, like right in the middle. And um, it, it totally feels like the hot seat. And so there I am. I'm in the hot seat. I'm ready to answer all these questions that uh, these pastors are, are going to uh, ask me. And the first thing one of the, one of the guys on the board says, Hey, Snodgrass. I know a Snodgrass in South Carolina. Are, are you related to him? His name's Dana. And I said, well, I said yeah, that, that, that's my dad. You're Dana's son? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Dana's son. Oh, man, Dana, your dad and I, we served together in West Virginia, and then I was on the South Carolina district for a while, and how are they doing? And I told him how my dad was doing, and then somebody else said, yeah, I think I was at a convention with him one time, and your mom, blah, 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 and blah. for 30 minutes, for 30 minutes, in my first interview with the North Alabama Board of Ministry, we talked about Dana and Roxy. We talked about how I was their son. And uh, I, felt, I felt a little cheated on one hand because I'd studied really hard for this. Um, but apparently I was Dana and Roxy's son, and that was good enough for them. Let's get this boy a district license. Let's let this boy do ministry in North Alabama. This is Dana and Roxy's son. And uh, I, I, I had something to prove, but, but what I learned today is, or what I learned that day is that, that what I thought I had to prove was already covered in my identity as Dana and Roxy's son. You know, friend, what, what you think you have to prove is already covered because you're a daughter of God. 
What you think you have to prove has already been proven because you're a son of God. What you think you have to prove, Jesus has already proven for you by taking your sin, by taking your mistakes, by taking your failures upon his cross. And there he canceled all your mistakes and he canceled all your failures. And because of Christ's resurrection, we too will be raised and we too have victory in this life. And so I learned that day to just kind of rest in the fact that I'm, I'm Dana's son. Six years ago, the Lord decided to take Dana home. And uh, there's so much that's happened over the last six years that I wish Dana could have seen. Not that I had anything to prove to make him love me anymore, but I think there's a lot that's happened in the last six years that he'd be pretty interested in. And so I I lament that sometimes. But I think about this gift of the Holy Spirit. I think about this affirmation that comes from the Father to Jesus. The, The Spirit descends as a dove and rests upon Jesus. And friends, do not underestimate the, the, the power of the Spirit that fills the church and the Spirit that fills His people. The Spirit has filled us as, as the church, and I'm so thankful for other godly influences in my life, people who have been fathers to me, And they have reminded me of my sonship through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was in the seventh grade and I was at church camp. And we were getting paired off for a three-on-three basketball tournament. And, um, (laughs) man, (laughs) not that I'm a great basketball player, but but that was just one of the options to do that day. And and so uh, I wanted to be involved in that. And there there was a... just the way it happened is I got paired up with a guy named Matt Hawkins. And he was new to the district, and, and his family had just moved uh, to South Carolina. And um, he and uh, another guy named Stephen and me, we, we, we got paired up on this, on this team. And, uh, you know, Matt was one of the first people that, like, wi- like ever just willingly passed me the ball. Uh, it was, I mean, maybe it was just because it was three on three. Like, he didn't have a whole lot of options. But as we begin to play basketball, what I remember is, like, man, he, he was a good ball handler and a great point guard, and, and, and so he handled the ball for us, and he was so good at passing the ball. If, if you got open, he was going to find you, especially if you got open and, and had, a, had a lane to the basket. He was just going to find you. He was really good at passing the ball. I said, man, Man, I, I want friends like that. I want friends who are willing to pass me the ball. And, uh, you know, that began a friendship. Today, he's one of my absolute best friends in the world. Uh, we went to college together. He's a pastor in Texas. And, uh, in fact, we just got off of a buddy's golf trip. We played golf all week this, this week. And, and so I'm thankful for that friendship in my life. But when you're friends with Matt, you're also friends with his mom and dad. And... Uh, and, and in, in high school, um, it was not uncommon for me to go to Matt's house, to spend the night at his house. And one of the things that happen when you spend the night at Matt's house is Mr. Tommy and Miss Sherry are going to make you a big breakfast. And there's going to be biscuits, and there's going to be gravy, and there's going to be bacon, and it's just going to be awesome. And that was just commonplace in high school. 
I was uh, traveling home from college one time, and uh, I, I left Nashville at like 8 o'clock at night, and I thought, you know, I think I can make it. You know, I'll get home about 4 a.m. I think I can make it. And I crossed the border from Georgia to South Carolina on I-20, and I wasn't going to make it the additional two hours home. And I stopped at a rest stop, and I thought, man, I'll just sleep in my car here. And, uh, and then as I, as I turned the car off, I thought, man, Mr. Tommy just lives 15 minutes away in North Augusta. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him and see if I can come stay at his house tonight. And so I went to a pay phone. Remember those? I went to a pay phone, and I called Mr. Tommy at like 1.45 in the morning. I said, hey, Mr. Tommy, this is Mark. I, Trying to, get, trying to get home. I don't think I can make it. You think I could come stay at your house? I said, ah, of course, come on over. And so got to his house and went to sleep and woke up the next morning. You know what I smelled? Bacon, biscuits, gravy. It was every, they had it all out there. It was all there. That was 20 some years ago. And uh, this, Tommy now lives in Nashville. And uh, we met, and uh, we ended up staying at, at Tommy's house this, this past week. And we, went, we got in real late, and we woke up the next morning, and you know what I woke up to? Smell of bacon, biscuits, gravy. It was awesome, because that's just what you can expect when you're at Mr. Tommy's house. You're going to wake up to biscuits and gravy and bacon, and, and it's going to be great. And the coffee was fresh, and so we had breakfast together. And uh, Tommy's almost 70 now. And uh, as we're leaving, he gave me a big hug. He said, Mark, I want you to know I love you, and I'm proud of you. You just, just keep doing what you're doing for Jesus, and just know that me and Miss Sherry are always behind you. <laughs> and... He said that to all of there was There was two other guys that were there, and, and of course he said that to his own son, but he, but he said it to me. And it surely means more now that my dad's not here. It surely means more, especially as I think about this Holy Spirit that fills Tommy's life. This Holy Spirit that is directing and leading and, and guiding him. And it was as if God was using Tommy's hospitality. He was using Tommy's words to say to me, Mark, you are chosen. I choose you. You are loved. There is nothing you can do that would ever make me love you less. There's nothing you can do that would ever make me love you more. You are my son. And I love you. And you know, friend, if you're feeling passed over today, if you're feeling picked last, I want you to know there's a God that loves you. And there is a church filled with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit who want to say to you today, you are welcome here. You are loved here. You are valued here. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And aren't we thankful for the affirming presence of God? When we feel that we, we are not worth anything, the Holy Spirit comes to us and affirms his presence to us in our lives. 